Uh, back on the 11th of February this year, Carl shared a word uh, that he felt God had placed on his heart for Life Church this year. And I want to remind you of that this morning. The word was this Life Church, respond to my heart so that the world will get a chance to know my son. It's a great word. This word has an action attached to it respond. Respond to the heart of God. And this word has a reason so that the world will get to know Jesus. And the heart of God is that all will come into relationship with him, right? And he invites us to be a part of making that happen. So we, this year, have this opportunity to say yes to God, to respond to him, to align our heart with his, so that all would come to know Jesus. And we've spent the last, most of the last 10 or 11 weeks talking about this idea of respond. How do we respond? How should we respond? How do we respond in worship or in giving? How do we respond to change? What happens if we say no to God? How does responding to God relate to our Selwyn Church plant happening later this year? Are we willing to say yes to all that God has for us in 2018? And this morning, really, we're basically drawing this topic of respond to a close. And I want to pick up on a couple of things uh, that Carl has touched on over the last couple of weeks. And I want to share some thoughts, and this is probably the title, about living as a first, second, and third responder. What is a first, second, and third responder, you ask? Well, I'm glad you asked, because that's what I want to talk to you about today, as I said. (laughs) So we'll get there. But let's start by going to a passage in Matthew chapter 22. Matthew 22, verses 36 to 40. We've, we've had this in the last couple of weeks. Says, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. And Carl spoke briefly from this passage just the other week, but I want to go there again because I want to focus on a few words right in the middle. And the second is like it. And the second is like it. So Jesus is asked by the Pharisees and the experts of the law this important question that important people like to go around discussing. What is the greatest commandment? They were testing him. Really, they were hoping he would trip up, and and they are hoping to make him lose favor with the people. But the reply that Jesus gave actually would have sat quite well with the Pharisees, as the command, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, was the command that many law experts of the time believed to be the most important. But Jesus doesn't finish his answer there, because he goes on, and the second is like it. Which one commandment is the most important? Well, this one and the second one was his answer. There's two. And there's a few things that I've learned about the word second or being second, all right? You might not have realized this, but did you know you can't have a second without a first? All right? If, If something or someone is second, it means that something or someone else is first because if you took away the thing that was first, the thing that was second would now be first, which would mean there'd be no second. But in this case, there is a second because there is also a first and you can't have a second without a first. Right? Right? That makes total sense, right? So, for example, I'm the second child in my family, uh, second boy of four. And if my parents were introducing 
their children to somebody for the first time. They wouldn't say, this is David, our firstborn, and this is Andrew, his older brother. It doesn't, like, you can't do that. There is a firstborn, and I'm the secondborn. I can't be the secondborn if there was no firstborn, because then I would be the firstborn, but I'm not. I'm the secondborn. And so Jesus says, and the second is like it. Now, when Jesus says, is like it, there are actually two meanings implied here. The first is that he's saying it's like it because they're similar. Love God, love your neighbor. They're similar. So it's like it because it's similar. But he's not just saying it's like it. He's saying the second is like it because it's similar in importance. The second is like the first because it is equally as great, equally as important, equally as valuable as the first. But it's still second. But it's equally as important. Just like I'm the second-born son, right? But I'm equally as great, equally as important, equally as valuable as the first-born. That's right, Dad, isn't it? Yeah, okay, good. That's right, Andrew, isn't it? You are undecided at this point. You don't live in Greymouth, do you? No, it's okay. The first... The first of equally important commandments is to love God, and the second of equally important commandments is to love others. So in the context of respond, our first response then is and must be towards God. But our second response, which is equally valuable, equally important, but still second, is towards people. Our first response, love God. And out of our first response flows our second response, love people. You know, these two commands, and therefore our responses, are inextricably linked with each other. We cannot respond to God by loving him without in turn responding to others by loving people. 1 John 4, verses 19 to 21 says this, We love each other because he loved us first. If someone says, I love God, but hates a fellow believer, that person is a liar. For if we don't love people we can see, how can we love God whom we cannot see? And he has given us this command. Those who love God must also love their fellow believers. God loves people. God loves the world. The the word is so clear on that. And if we respond to God by loving him, then we will love the things that he loves, which is people. I then find that verse in 1 John 4 a little bit difficult because it seems to suggest that it is easier to love people that we can see than love God whom we cannot see. But the reality is that sometimes it's really, really difficult to love people. I want to explain that a little bit. As many of you know, a number of weeks ago, I injured my leg playing basketball. Uh, I tore my calf muscle, my right calf muscle. And uh, the thing about tearing a calf muscle is exactly what it sounds like. It's exactly what it feels like, right? That's, that you tore your calf muscle. It's not fun, actually. It was fun having my brother and his friend carry me out. Uh, that was a challenge, but that was good. But let's face it, people get injured playing sports all the time, right? High-performance athletes doing ultra-athletic things injure themselves playing sports, right? Michael Jordan got injured while playing basketball. Dan Carter got injured while playing rugby. And you would think then, when I tore my calf muscle, I would have had a lot of people come to me and say, oh, you're getting more and more like Michael Jordan. (laughs) Like, you 
playing like him, to injure yourself in that way, then you must be like Michael Jordan. No, no, I didn't get that. I go, oh, you must be getting old. (laughs) Thanks for all the support. I really really, don't think Michael Jordan got that. So for several days that week, I was working from home and, and resting at home with my legs elevated, as you're supposed to do, to help the healing process. And it was a bit of a strange week, to be honest. I was I was there by myself most of the time, and I was able to get some stuff done on my laptop, but I wasn't able to meet with people or have the same sorts of conversations with people or uh, catch up with people around the office and get those sorts of things done or do any of the physical tasks that I would normally do. And we also had New Zealand Beyond rehearsals going on, and we had to try and organize that, which was just frustrating and difficult as well. But the thing that was interesting is that because I was relatively immobile, and because I was doing less meeting with people and so on, I found that through the week, as I sat there with my legs elevated, I spent a lot more time than usual looking at both social media and news websites on my, on my phone. Uh, yeah, you're sitting there, I've got my laptop, I'll, I'll do something, I'll finish the task, put the laptop down, go to get up, realize that I can't, uh, grab my phone and just sort of, you know, just swipe through, have a look, have a read of that, have a think about that. And I don't actually do that a lot, normally. And over several days of doing that, more than I usually would, I had an incredible revelation that I feel God wants me to share with you all this morning. Are you ready? You might, you might want to write this down. Here it is. Yeah. Yeah. People are stupid. That was what I learned from my week with my leg up and swiping through Facebook and, and through the news. They are, they truly are. It's, they say stupid things. They do stupid things. They say stupid things about other people doing stupid things. They lie. They cheat. They treat each other so badly. And even when they don't treat each other badly, the media tries to make it sound like they've treated each other badly so that someone in the comment section can actually treat someone badly in order for somebody else to treat them badly back. That's kind of how we treat each other online, it would seem. People are awful. And by Friday, I was, forget it, I'm just going to look after myself, my family, my church, and the rest of you can just treat each other like that and I don't have to care about you anymore. I was really leaning into my pastoral side. (laughs) Some of you are thinking I must just have the worst friends on Facebook. Well, maybe I do. And I must say how nice it is to have so many of you with us here today. (laughs) But it was when I got to, I mean, I'm overstating it a little bit, but honestly, that is really how I was feeling. This is so ridiculous. People are so ridiculous. And it was when I got to that point that I had a second revelation. I really wasted my extra enforced downtime. What a wasted opportunity. I spent too much time in a space which requires my second response, loving people, without spending enough time in a space that develops my first response, loving God. The second has to be an outworking and an overflow of the first. But for a few minutes there, I was allowing my frustrations with the selfishness, pettiness, and stupidity of other people shrink my world down to a selfish, petty, stupid life that doesn't reflect God's heart or love for people, nor does it reflect the mission that he has placed in each and every one of us to go and make disciples. 
God doesn't want me to live a small, inward-looking, selfish life. He wants me to live a large, expensive, outward-looking life that builds others up and loves others, no matter how selfish, petty, or stupid they might be. Psalm 119, a great psalm, but there's this one verse buried in the middle of it that I really love. It, says, it puts it this way in the New King James. It says, I will run the course of your commandments, for you shall enlarge my heart. I need my heart enlarged. And God will do that as I continue to live out his commandments over the whole course of my life. And the greatest commandments are to first respond to God by loving him with everything, and to second respond to people by loving my neighbor as myself. And then God will enlarge my heart. But I can't live that kind of big life if I spend all my time in a selfish, petty, small-minded world. I need the Spirit of God working daily in my life so that my response to others, either online or in person, can reflect His glory. Spirit of God, fall fresh on us. Let's jump to Galatians 5 for a moment here. A very famous passage, the fruit of the Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, which I always, it was patience back when the Bible was translated for me. Uh, Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. There's a little song that's been sung in our house over the years as our kids have gone to Middleton Grange that I, I remember those nine fruit of the Spirit. I'm sure some of you Middleton people know it, right? The, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and goodness, self-control. Galatians 5, 22, 23. My daughter tells me that most of the kids don't add verse 23 at the end of the song, and that makes her really mad. I think she's missing the point. <laughs> but that's okay. Um, I love how kids watch it. Faithfulness. It's just faithfulness. It's really right. But those, those, are the, those are the fruit of the Spirit. Nine characteristics. And the thing that's really interesting to me, though, is you note that nearly all of them are responses. They benefit others, actually, more than they benefit you personally, for the most part. Love is an outward response. Patience is a response. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control are, for the most part, responses to other people. Only joy and peace are really for your own personal benefit, but even they spill over into how we respond to others. And the most important part of the verse is the first six words. But the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit. The outworking of responding to God first and spending time with Him and living by His Spirit is that it changes the way we respond to others. And when we respond in a way that's different to what the world expects, people take notice. We need to allow the fruit of the Spirit to overflow into our, into our online interactions with people too. Imagine a social media world where the last verse from Galatians 5 was demonstrated by everyone. Let us not become conceited, 
provoking and envying one another. Man, if you removed every conceited, provoking, and envious comment from social media, our news feeds would be very, very short. Don't get me wrong, I'm not trying to bag social media. I am a bit. But that's not my point. My point is... My point is that I don't receive those nine characteristics in my life through interacting with people, whether online or in person. I demonstrate them through interacting with people. I receive them by first responding to God and receiving them through his Holy Spirit. And that is how I get them into my life so that when I second respond to people, I can demonstrate those characteristics. I need to be changed so I can be an agent of change. I need to be transformed so I can point others towards transformation. I need to first respond to God so I can second respond to others. When Moses responded to God, he was transformed from someone who killed a man to someone who rescued millions. When Gideon responded to God, he was transformed from someone who hid from people in fear to someone who commanded people in battle. When Zacchaeus responded to God, he was transformed from someone who took from people to someone who gave to people. When Paul responded to God, he was transformed from someone who persecuted people to someone who loved and led people. And this room is filled with people who have responded to God and had their lives radically changed. And that is the transforming power of the Spirit of God. Our first response is to God. Our second response is to others. And they're equally important. The second is like it, but it's second. I told you at the start that I wanted to talk about living our lives as first, second, and third responders, right? So here's where this thought comes from. I think most of us are aware of the term first responders. When an emergency situation occurs, the first responders are the emergency services who are first on the scene, like police or, or uh, fire or ambulance. And in a large-scale emergency or a disaster situation, first responders include teams of search and rescue people and, and that sort of thing. They are the first responders. And the role of first responders is to carry out the immediate work of rescue and emergency medical care. And it's their primary objective to remove as much of the danger as possible or to get people away from danger. That's first responders. First responders. They're concerned with safety. Right? But then there's a group of people that are called second responders. Now, second responders are those who support the work of the first responders by providing relief to people affected by an emergency. So they might meet the need, meet the need for clothing or food or water or short-term shelter and accommodation, as well as working to restore things like utilities and roadways and transportation and sanitation. The objective of second responders is to provide relief which quickly enables people to get back to some of their normal routines where possible, like work and school, to ensure that relatively normal life is able to continue, even if it's under temporary circumstances like short-term shelter and so on. So first responders are about safety, and second responders are about relief and getting routines back again. But second responders are not effective before the first responders have done their job, right? Someone who needs to be rescued from fire or flood isn't that interested in what temporary accommodation they might get or whether someone has a change of clothes for them. They want to be saved first. It's just as important, but it's 
not first. Someone who needs emergency medical attention doesn't want to know whether the roads are clear so they can get to work. They want someone to help them survive first. Actually, it, it reminds me, I won't tell you where I went, which medical center I was at when I tore my calf muscle, but I did find it ironic that I was offered three cups of tea before I was offered an ice pack. Like, the, the, they, they definitely had the responders around the wrong way that particular night. Um, but that's okay, not bagging them either. I'm so grumpy, obviously. Grey mouth, older brothers, Facebook. I've, I've got like eight billion enemies right now, so good. But in a large-scale disaster situation, there is another level of support needed. And these people are called third responders. It may be a term you haven't heard before. And this is the role of a third responder. Third responders assist in the rebuilding of people's lives. They get involved and stay involved with the people affected by the disaster over a long period of time. Third responders are the ones who are still there supporting people months and years after the disaster, months and years after the first responders have made things safe, months and years after the second responders have provided relief, food, and emergency shelter. Their objective is assisting in rebuilding people's lives over a long period of time. Well, doesn't that describe our purpose in life? Our first response is to God. Love God with everything we are and everything we have. Receive the Spirit of God in your life. Spirit of God, fall fresh on us. We need your presence. Our second response is to others. Love your neighbor as yourself. Demonstrate love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Provide relief. Meet people's needs when you see them. But to become third responders, we need to assist in rebuilding people's lives over a long period of time. In the book of Luke, we find recorded the story of another time when Jesus was discussing these two commandments with an expert in the law. And in, in this case, the expert had asked Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus turned the question back on them and said, what do you think it is? How do you read it? And the expert answered with these same two commands. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said, that's right, do that. So the expert asks his very famous question. Well, who is my neighbor? And we're going to look at this from the perspective of first, second, and third responding. Luke 10, verses 30 to 34. I'm just jumping a couple of bits. In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. In the next couple of verses, a, pre a priest went by and ignored him. A Levi went by and ignored him. And then in verse 33, But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. When I read that, I can't help but see the parallels with first responders, right? He came across a medical emergency. He bandaged his wounds. He applied emergency medical care. And he also put the man on his donkey to take him out of the situation. He took the man to safety. He removed him from immediate danger. The Samaritan was, was a first responder in this situation. 
But he was also a second responder because he brought him to an inn and took care of him. In other words, he provided emergency temporary shelter and relief and food and water, the things that the man needed to just carry on with life. But then the next verse, verse 35, the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after them, look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. And the Samaritan now leans into this role of the third responder with those three words, when I return. Despite all that he had done, his response isn't over yet. His outpouring of love isn't done yet because he's getting involved in assisting with rebuilding this man's life over a long period of time. When I return and I will continue this job. He's been the first responder. He's been 